Well, howdy and good morning on all of our campuses, whether you are sitting in one of our 14 venues, you're watching online with your family, or you're watching on the treadmill afterwards because you're catching back up later this week. Anderson Campus, can you help me welcome everybody online and at our campuses? So glad that you're here, uh, especially if you're here and you're not usually with us. Maybe you're visiting family or friends for the Thanksgiving holiday. This is that weird in-between moment where I have to look backwards over the week and say, hey, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys ate a lot of food. I hope you got a, a couple of leftover meals in after the fact. Anybody agree that the leftover Thanksgiving is better than the actual meal? I'm, I'm in that camp that we're good. And I also wanna turn headlong and say, Merry Christmas. Here we go. Hope you're ready. Hope you've survived Black Friday. You're ready for small business Saturday. And, and what else we got? We got Giving Tuesday coming up. And oh, what about Cyber Monday? Somebody's already poised to take advantage of all the Amazon things. But wherever you are, um, Merry Christmas. Excited about this season. I wanna celebrate a couple of things. First, I wanna celebrate the fact that if you were on our campuses, do they not look beautiful? We have had so many volunteers and staff. They've changed atriums, they've changed sets. Thank you guys on all of our campuses for doing that. And then you've probably heard about this, but if you have not uh, and you are here today, you're gonna to receive a Devo that our team has made and it is incredible. I promise it'll be incredibly helpful. If you're online, they'll tell you how you can download one of those. Wanna make sure we mention that. And uh, I hope you can join us in the next several weeks here in person as we are looking forward to Christmas at New Spring. It's gonna be a really cool season. We're gonna do something we've never done before as we are cranking up this Advent idea. Now, let me start by asking a question. Now, we're gonna see if my pen works from all the way back here, okay? You ready for this? We're gonna work together. Let me start by asking this question. You ready? Wow. How do you get ready for Christmas? How do you get ready for Christmas in your home? How does your family get ready for Christmas? How many of you, uh, this is participation, not rhetorical, up in the balcony, down here on the floor, on all of our campuses, how many of you already have a Christmas tree up in your house right now? Show of hands. All right, how many of you say, no way, no how, not until December am I putting up a Christmas tree and you're still gonna put yours up later? There you are, come on. You're, you're, you're true, true, gonna make sure Thanksgiving gets celebrated. Make sure we give it its due, right? Uh, anyway, that's awesome and incredible. How many of you are outside decor people, lights on the house, something in the yard, something to let everybody know you are celebrating Christmas. Show of hands. All right. Okay. Very cool. How many of you are um, big, big time? I have a, a, a live tree. Now it's kind of funny because there's no actual live tree because it got cut off at the actual root, but you're a live tree person. You want the authentic, real deal, real McCoy in your house. Okay. I see two hands up here. Awesome. Excellent. 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 My wife and I used to be live tree people and then we had kids and those kids like to shake the live tree. And if you're going to be a live tree person, you also have to be well accommodated by lots of vacuum cleaning. Am I right? And so um, ever since we had kids, we moved over to the authentic looking fake tree that stays in our garage all year long. And yesterday we put up our fake tree and it looks beautifully majestic, just like a live tree. And our son can't shake it and cause needles to fall all over the floor. So we're pumped up about that. But what if, what if you um, watched Christmas movies? How many of you have already watched a couple of Christmas movies? Christmas movies? Oh, lots of you have done this. Okay. We've watched lots of Christmas movies at my house. I want Anderson, you yell out some of your favorite Christmas movies right here. Come on, what do you got? 
wow, wow, where are my Home Alone 1 people at? This is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. If you want to really feel old, Macaulay Culkin, the actual actor that is Kevin, is over 40 years old now. Blows my mind every time I hear that. Uh, he's older than I am, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how is Kevin already that old? But he is. Now, in the movie, um, that's probably the edgiest one we're at at my house. We've already watched Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. I do not believe in Home Alone 3 because it's not Macaulay Culkin, amen? It's not him. Okay, but you didn't come for that. You came for church and Jesus and Bible, so we're going to make sure we get there. So one of the things that happens as they tip the hat in Home Alone 1 and in Home Alone 2 is they tip the hat to the greatest Christmas movie of all time, maybe even the original Christmas movie of all time. You ready for it? Here it is. Dr. Seuss is how the Grinch stole Christmas. If you know it, sing it. You're a mean one. Come on. Mr. Grinch, you really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're like a slimy banana with a greasy black peel. That's all I got, okay? They don't let me on the worship team, okay? I just, but I'm a dad, and we, we, we've not watched this version only. We've watched every version of Mr. Grinch, but here's what I wanna point out in Mr. Grinch, because Dr. Seuss made this movie, this book before it was a movie, years ago. But what Dr. Seuss would say after the fact is, who was the character Grinch modeled after? He was modeled after Dr. Seuss's own heart. Because Christmas season in America, in capitalistic, materialistic society, has a tendency to happen with all kinds of boxes and tags and bags. And materialism left, right, and center, and you can miss the true meaning of Christmas. My kids actually watched the original last night, watched the Jim Carrey version like already, watched the new one. We're, re we're getting ready for the musical, but the whole story, if I can remind you, so you don't have to go spend $14.99 for the 27-minute movie on uh, Apple TV. Like, I don't know that I did that or not, but it may have happened, okay. Um, or you could rent it for $3.99. It'll be the best 27 minutes of your life. What happens in the movie? is that the Grinch lives up on top of where? Mount Crumpet. And he hates the Who's down in Whoville and how they celebrate Christmas. And so why did Dr. Seuss um, tell us that he hated it? It wasn't because his shoes were too tight. It was because his heart was too small. And so what does the Grinch do? He decides that he's gonna go down and he's going to steal the meaning of Christmas. And the meaning of Christmas to the Grinch was all the stuff. And so he enacts a plan. He gets his sad little skinny dog, Max. Somebody should call Peter on him. And he puts, he puts some antlers on Max and he makes him a reindeer and he runs that reindeer down into town and slips down chimneys and he steals all of Whoville's presents. Takes it all. Takes the roast beast. He takes their hams. He takes little Cindy Lou Who stuff. He gets it all stacked up into his um, uh, anti-Santa sleigh and goes back up the mountain. Remember that poor little dog trying to carry it all the way back up the mountain? Right as the sun comes up on Christmas morning, he's about to dump it all off of the cliff. And right before he throws all the presents away and he thinks in his sinister brain, I have destroyed Christmas once and for all, what does he hear? Singing. See, here's the sound of the Who's down in Whoville, circled up and singing. And what in his heart occurs? He realizes that the Who's, unlike the Grinch, knew that there was a deeper meaning to Christmas than the stuff of materialism. And they were singing because there was something more to Christmas 
Now, Dr. Seuss never goes so far as to state what it was that Christmas was all about, but you're in church today, so I will. Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about his coming to earth. It's all about the fact that we were in desperate need in the darkest spaces and places of our world and that God came here to save humanity, that we might be brought back into his family, that the end of sin and death would be terminated and that the eternal life and the eternal relationships that God wants to have with us and with us to have with others could be reestablished. And this is the meaning of Christmas. And we will not allow the busyness of this December, the busyness of this COVID year, we will not allow any of that to get in our way because we are not going to miss Christmas. Can I get an amen? And so they missed it. There, um, the Grinch missed it there in Whoville, but here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Advent and the Advent season is about not missing Jesus Christ in Christmas. And you might, you might be saying, there's no way we could miss Jesus Christ in Christmas, but I, I want you to, to realize that the, the cultural climate of our world meshed with the carnality of the human nature wants you to miss it. Everything in our world wants you to miss the meaning of Christmas. And so I want to invite you and your family in this season as we begin this journey of Advent to make a willful decision in your own volition to say, I will not miss Jesus Christ in Christmas. And so today we're talking about hope. And we're talking about the candle of hope. We're talking about the beginning of the Advent season. And maybe, maybe you grew up doing Advent, and maybe this was a really meaningful thing to you. Advent only meant in my life uh, growing up that my brother and I got to fight over who opened up the calendar with the little chocolates inside and who had them. That's, and we just did the countdown to Christmas where we sang Happy Birthday Jesus on the, on the 25th. And that was basically what Advent meant. But Advent is this beautiful and rich tradition. And um, sorry for those of you that only want to celebrate Christmas in the month of December because you're an American and we have this other holiday that nobody else had back in the day. But Advent actually started in the early church all the way back on November the 11th. Think about that. That's a lot of Christmas music. Some of y'all are like, yes. Some of y'all are like, no. Um, uh, November 11th. And the whole process of Advent was actually early on preparing new believers to join the family of God, and they would be baptized into the family of God on the new year. Christmas was really, really important, and they actually decided way back in the early church to place Christmas because we don't know when Jesus was born. He, he wasn't necessarily born on December 25th, but we do know that Jesus came to bring the light of the, the, to be the light of the world into the darkest of spaces, and the prophecies about Jesus talk all about that in the scriptures. We're gonna read some of them in just a bit, but do you know that the early church decided to place Christmas in the darkest time of year? on purpose, so that the lights and the bright glory of Jesus would be remembered and placed on display at the darkest time of year. Like, think about this. What if we were celebrating Christmas in July when it's like getting dark at like 9.30 at night? 
and your kids won't go to bed because it's not dark outside, right? And so that wouldn't be fun. And, and you celebrate it now because now we get to see the candlelight service. Now we get to experience all the beautiful lights on our Christmas trees. Now we get to experience the lights on your home. Now we get to experience the light of Jesus stepping into the darkness of our broken reality and bringing his good news to bear. And so in the Old Testament, there was all kinds, all kinds of prophecy that was communicated by all of the Old Testament folks of old. So many, I'm gonna share with you many of them, but the whole heart of it was to help people understand that in the brokenness and in the hopelessness that we find ourselves in, in our human experience, God wants to step in and bring the light of the good news of Jesus. Now, the Old Testament defines it by talking about someone that maybe you've heard about before. They talk about the Messiah. And there are literally thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament, but hundreds of those prophecies are about this coming Savior, the Messiah, the hope of the world. If you've got your Bible and you want to open it up, I want to invite you to open it up to Isaiah chapter 7. This is probably the most popular prophecy that many of us would lean into in this season. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, here it is. It says this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which literally means in Hebrew, God with us. Now, there are so many of these kind of prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm gonna share with you another one in just a moment, but hundreds of these kind of prophecies about the Messiah, about God coming into our hopelessness to bring his good news hope. But I wanna also point this out. This specific prophetic word in Isaiah chapter seven happened nearly 700 years, 680 years before Mary and Joseph made their journey to that stable in Bethlehem. God showed Isaiah by his spirit that he would send a sign that we will know that the Savior is here when there is a word about a virgin, a virgin who would have a child, which is impossible, all right, right? It is impossible otherwise to do this other than the miracle of God, and they shall conceive this son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah two chapters later would go on 680 years before Jesus would show up in the storyline to say this, would say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name, his name shall be called, this God who is with us, he shall be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, he will, he will show us the everlasting father, he will be to us a prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of King David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These are just two of the dozens of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And here's what I want to make sure you catch, because there wasn't just one or two. There were literally hundreds. I'm going to actually read 44 of them. All right, you ready for this? All right, you ready for this? I don't know, 44 points. 44 messianic prophecies that were spoken about years before Jesus, before he shows up. All right, here we go. Number one, the Messiah would be born of a woman. 
Genesis chapter three. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. The Messiah would be a descendant of Isaac. The Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would be heir to King David's throne. The Messiah's throne will be anointed and eternal. Messiah will be called Emmanuel. Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. A massacre of children would happen at Messiah's birthplace. A messenger would prepare the way for Messiah. Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Messiah would be a prophet. Messiah would be preceded by Elijah. The Messiah would be declared the son of God. The Messiah would be called a Nazarene. The Messiah would bring light to Galilee. The Messiah would speak in parables. The Messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Messiah would be a would be called a king. The Messiah would be praised by little children. Second page, we're almost there. The Messiah would be betrayed. The Messiah's price money would be used to buy a potter's field. The Messiah would be falsely accused. The Messiah would be silent before his accusers. The Messiah would be spat upon and struck. The Messiah would be hated without cause. The Messiah would be crucified as a criminal. Let me put a button in that one. The, the idea of crucifixion hadn't even been created when the words were written. And the prophetic word was that the Messiah, the Savior, would show up and be crucified, and he does, and he is. The Messiah would be given vinegar to drink. The Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. The Messiah would be mocked and ridiculed. Soldiers would gamble for the Messiah's garments. The Messiah's bones would not be broken. The Messiah would be forsaken by God. The Messiah would be would pray for his enemies. Soldiers would pierce the Messiah's side. Messiah would be buried with the rich. The Messiah would resurrect from the dead. Messiah would ascend to heaven. Messiah would be seated at the right hand of God. And the last one I've got for you today is that Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin. That's 44 of them. And I could have read until you guys are ready to go home and eat leftovers because there are literally hundreds of these in the Old Testament that show up in Jesus Christ fulfills every single one. Is that not incredible to anybody this morning at New Spring Church? It's incredible. Now, let me ask you a question. As I read that, and I look at Jesus, and we know now the stories from the Gospels of all the things that he did, the question I've gotta ask is very simply this. How did many people miss it? How did they miss Jesus? How did they miss Jesus being the Messiah, because every person that saw it made a decision. Is Jesus Christ the Messiah? Is he the fix? Is he the hope? Is he the one to trust? Is he it? And most of the folks that saw Jesus and witnessed him and heard about him, most of the folks did not believe he was the Messiah. Not until he was resurrected. And then this incredible gospel global movement called the church happens and it spreads and you and I 2,000 years later stand in the wake of the fact that the Messiah did all of those things and so in this Advent season my hope for you and my hope for me is that we would not walk through this season and miss it as well. Dr. Seuss says Americans miss it. The Old Testament prophets say America misses it. I want to say to you right now many of us run the risk of missing it as well. You know how they did it? You know how they missed it? They missed it because they had built in their mind a picture of what Messiah was gonna look like. 
They had built in their heart an expectation of what this, this Savior was going to be. And so in their mind and in their heart, they had imagined and projected and expected a certain kind of Savior. And then Jesus Christ shows up in a manger. And so there was a disconnect from what they thought Messiah should be versus what Messiah is. And that disconnect means they missed it. And I want to say really, really clearly in 2020 that all of the craziness of our world right now is actually God's kindness to us so that we don't miss Jesus Christ and his purpose for our lives in the midst of the craziness that we are going through. Now, I know this is crazy, but can you imagine where you were at the start of 2020? How many of you on our campuses are stay up and watch the ball drop people on New Year's Eve? Go ahead and throw your hand up in the air. Okay, great. How many of you have kids and you're like, I don't even care. I'm going to bed at 9.30 or whatever because it's, uh, yeah, I'll read about it tomorrow, right? Um, I've had many years like that, but my wife and I were actually um, up at midnight this year and uh, we were in Atlanta, Georgia. We were in the, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium down there. They tore down the Georgia Dome. They built the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And we were actually, check this out, in a room with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Nobody was wearing a mask. I don't think I saw a mask anywhere. And you know what everybody was doing? Singing and shouting. It was crazy, singing and shouting. We were at this, this huge Christian college event called Passion Conference, and my wife and I were there, and as a matter of fact, as 2019 was concluding and 2020 was, was starting, there was a worship band on stage. We were singing this song called Good Grace. We've sung it here at New Spring Church, and we were, we were absolutely going for it. I mean, there was drops of spittle everywhere. I mean, coronavirus, if it was there, it was all in the place, okay? And it was crazy, it was incredible, and we were singing to the top of our our lungs, the ball drops, fireworks go off all over the world, and yes, right there in Atlanta, Georgia, and there was this sense of expectation. You remember that? This sense of, oh my goodness, this year, 2020, 2020, double entendre, it's going to be a year of vision, 2020 vision, a year of expectation, a year of clarity for my life, a year of clarity for my family, my career, my job, my relationships, so much vision, 2020 vision. You remember that? I just want to suggest to you that it was. It wasn't a year of vision. It was a year of x-ray vision. And God put all of our hearts on display this year. And he's been kind to us to show us exactly what our hope is found in. He doesn't want you to miss Jesus. He doesn't want you to build some idea of what Jesus is. And then him show up and say, missed it. Your hope was in a something else. I could go down a list. I could, your hope this year, he's shown you. Is your hope in the economy? Is your hope in America? Is your hope in health? Is your hope in politics? Is your hope in whatever? And what he is doing this year is actually been a kindness. What if 2020 wasn't a curse? What if 2020 was a kindness where the God of the universe wants to make sure that you know exactly what your hope is in and that you're not building some Americanized version of Jesus Christ, the American Jesus, the capitalistic Jesus, the materialistic Jesus, where Jesus is a part of our conversation. He's a part of our vernacular. He's at the center of our nativity scenes, but he's at the fringes of our life. 
And he wants to look at you and me in this Advent season and give us a chance to recalibrate our hearts and go, okay, I want to make sure that Jesus isn't just the theoretical hope of my life. He's the actual hope of my life. That's what Advent is all about. That's what this moment is. And as we walk through this together, I want you to make sure, and this is a shorthanded way of saying it if you're writing down notes, I want you to make sure you catch this. Advent reminds us that God has a grand plan for history and we have a part to play, but church, we are not the center of the story. We're not the center. It's his story and you've got a beautiful part to play and you need to play it with all you got. You need to play it with all of your resources and all of your creativity. You need to go for it. You need to play it in your retirement years. You need to play it in your college years. You need to play it in your early married years where you don't get any sleep because you got three kids and they stay up all night and get up in the middle of the night and you never, ever, ever feel like you're back on the top side of having enough sleep. You need to play it with all your heart then. You need to play it in your single years. You need to play it in all of your years because God has given you and I a part to play. Make sure that he, again, isn't just at the center of the nativity scene, but he's at the center of your life. And this is a chance for us to check our hearts and be reminded that all of life is really about him and that all of Christmas is really about Jesus. And don't allow the busyness and the noise of our moment to cause us to miss Christ this Advent season. The last point that I wanna make sure is that Advent will build our confidence in the promises of God. It will. When you start to look at hundreds of prophetic things that Jesus Christ fulfilled, when you start to see that he did it, he, the Messiah came and Jesus did it, what it'll do is it'll build this confidence to go, oh my gosh, Jesus came and he was the fulfillment. He was the sacrifice, he was in the, he was in the line of this, he did it this, he was from here, he, all those things that I just read, there's 44 of them I read to you, but there could have been hundreds of them. He did all of them. And so what it does is it doesn't just build confidence that you can put your trust and faith in Jesus now. You ready for this? It builds confidence that you can Put your trust and faith in the fact that when Jesus tells us he's coming back again, he is and he will. You see on that last night where Jesus Christ was with his disciples before he went to the cross, John chapter 14, it's in the first three verses if you wanna go and read it. Jesus was trying to help his disciples who were about to walk through some pretty incredible testing. He was trying to help them walk through it with all kinds of confidence. And he, he tells them on that night, men, I'm about to leave you. I know that you're gonna walk through some things, but I want you to know, you've heard this. My father has many mansions. That's what the King James says, many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, won't I also again come back for you and take you with me so that we might be together one day? And the answer, of course, is yes. So I want to ask you a question. What if this is the last Christmas on earth before Jesus fulfills the promise he said he would and he comes back for us? What if this is it? What if this is the last time we celebrate what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he came? And what if this is now the hearts of all the world turning to look forward to the coming of Christ again? and it creates an expectation, and it creates a stirring, and it creates an urgency in our hearts to make sure that, that the people around us don't miss him. They don't miss it. 
They don't miss it in the midst of the, the materialism and the boxes and tags and bags. They don't miss it in, in, the, in the crazy world we're in where they've developed a picture of who they think Jesus is, but, but the picture they've got is far from the biblical description of who he is, that they don't miss it. What about your family this year? How much do you want them not to miss it? What about your kids? How much do you want them not to miss it? What about your neighbor across the street or the person that lives in the apartment right above you? You know, the one that runs back and forth and you hear them and you're like, oh my gosh, there must be a herd of elephants running back and forth above us in the apartment. What if they miss it? What about the classmates? What if they miss it? This is our chance to turn our hearts to the reality that he came, we can have confidence and now we can turn and look forward to his coming again. I want you to do something, not rhetorical. I want you to look somebody beside you in the eye right now on your campus and say, he's coming again. Say it out loud. One, two, three. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. Our king is coming again. They missed it 2,000 years ago because they thought he was gonna be coming riding a white horse with a sword in his hand. Well, that was what some of the prophets had said he would come riding a white horse with a sword in his hand. Well, what they didn't know is that those prophets weren't talking about his first coming. They were talking about his second coming because church, he's coming again and he will come again for us and he will come again to put an end to all the wrongs that have been done. He will come again and he will take us away and we will live in a world and in an existence and an eternity where there is no sin, no death, no tears. He's coming again. Christmas is about reminding ourselves that he's coming again. So let me ask you this, go back to where we started. God said that he would send us an Emmanuel. He would send us a God with us. Can I ask you a personal question? Is God with you today? Is he with you? He desires to be with you. He desires to be the Lord and Savior of your life. He doesn't desire to be on the fringes in just the vocabulary of the Christmas season in South Carolina. He wants you to know he came to be your savior. He came to die your death. He came to give you his righteousness. He came for way more than just the traditional Christmas religious experience. He came for you. Is he with you today? That's the invitation. That's the question that needs answering. Would you stand to your feet on all of our campuses as we step into a time of invitation and prayer? He's coming. He's coming again. I want to invite you right where you are to answer that question. So I want to invite you on all of our campuses or maybe right there in your living room to just bow your head and close your eyes. He said that he would come. He said that we would know it because his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus Christ came in that manger to be with us. And he's coming again to take all of those who believed him when he came, who trusted him for eternal life, for the forgiveness of their sins. Is he with you this morning? He wants to be. He's knocking again at your heart. He's asking you to open the door. Will you in this 2020 year of x-ray vision put your hope in Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father God, if there's anybody at any campus right now, I pray you give them the faith to respond to your invitation to make you their Lord and Savior.
If that's you today on all of our campuses or watching online and you say, that's me. I need to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I need to invite him to be with me. I, I, I can't believe I've not done this, but today is my day. You'll know it because the Lord's been talking to you about it. I just want to know where you are. If that's you, would you just, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but if that's you, would you just give me a hand raise? I want to pray for you. Amen, 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 amen. Up in the balcony, you can hold them up, keep them up, hands, hands up. Heads bowed, eyes are closed, but hands are up. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, hands down. All of our campuses in faith, believing that many people responded to, across the state and watching online. There was several in this room. I'm gonna invite all of us, not just the folks that raised their hand, to pray this prayer out loud as we calibrate our hearts before we sing and worship. I wanna invite you to pray just right after me. Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming and forgiving the world's sin. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and forgiving my sin. I invite you into my heart for the rest of my days to lead my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Could you put your hands together? Let's celebrate the fact that Jesus is still saving souls. We've seen that all day today. That's the season we're in. We're gonna celebrate and worship now on all of our campuses with that kind of expectation. And I wanna invite you today to think about the folks that are outside of this gathering that need to be reminded that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. Let's worship together, church.